Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. This is the National Health Alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket costs. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a free meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pedometer as our special gift to you. We have knee, back, and other braces available, as well as pharmacy services. Regardless of your age, if you suffer with diabetes and you have insurance, we can help. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. That's 888-303-9136. Hello. Hello. Is there anybody home tonight? I'm home tonight. Is this Dr. Carr? I'm here. All right, all right, all right. So who else else is here besides me and you? Uh, Or is it me and you for right now? I'm not sure. Okay, well, then uh, I guess me and you can can kind of kick it off. Uh, This is Monday. And uh, Sarah McKellar won't be able to be with us tonight because she has she had a death in the family, so she won't be able to make it. Uh, I don't know what Rihanna's status is. I think Michael Cooper said he, I think he said he might come on a little bit later on. So, uh, so anyway, so I and I don't know about Doctor uh, uh, Smith. What about Doctor Smith? You hear, you hear anything from him? You know, I hadn't heard from Dr. Smith on today, so I'm not sure what to say about his uh, appearing on uh, this broadcast or no. I'm not sure. Okay, well, okay, well, I guess, uh, uh, hey, hey, Doc, guess what? Me and you get to do, we'll get to do your book tonight. Oh, well, that's a good idea. Let me reach over here and pick up a copy of it so we can get into it. All right, yeah, 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 get the book. 
right. now the, before we start, before we start, just kind of give give the people a background as far as like you know you and and, and your book and so forth, and then we'll and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, well, I'm in uh, Arkansas. I was born in East Arkansas in November of 1952, and I have all of my uh, school training there in St. Francis County, graduating from high school in 1970 and on to uh, Orlando Smith College at Little Rock uh, after that. Uh, And from completing my collegiate work, I went into the education business. I have a degree in uh, special education with a minor in history. Uh, I'm 37 years into the ministry on my second pastoral assignment here in Camden, Arkansas. And uh, the most interesting thing perhaps about me for the last uh, 10 years or so has been the uh, development, the research, the writing, and the uh, studying to uh, bring to the forefront a book that uh, I was blessed to publish in April of last year entitled uh, Resurrecting Black Mind. It's uh, eight chapters of information that uh, answers, I think, the question to the African-American personality, what has happened uh, to black people uh, prior to 1619 and the onset of what we call the uh, the slavery movement. So my book is centered around uh, African uh, world uh, history and uh, highlighting some things that uh, most people uh, don't know about themselves and about uh, their ancestors uh, as far back as 4,500 B.C. I would add that uh, I've used, uh, I've studied and read from the works of many uh, profound uh, African scholars, uh, i.e., uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, uh, Sheikh Antidia Theophile Obenga, Dr. Ben Yakinen, Ivan Van Sertima, uh, and the great uh, Chancellor Williams and, and many others, Asa the third, whom I learned from Ms. Shirley when I first came on that she was familiar with him and his work. So my book is a culmination of my study of the works of these other great uh, African scholars and I'm very proud to have uh, reached the point where I published in April of 22 and hope for that uh, this uh, local man with this local book uh, can have a global effect. So I'm uh, grateful for having the opportunity to be on this show uh, and wanted to contribute whatever I can. Uh, so that's the spiel on who I am and where I've come from and what I'm about. All right, look here. You mentioned something about it just happened when you said Philander Smith, right? Philander Smith. Yes. yes. Yeah. One of my favorite football players of all time was Elijah Pitt. Elijah Green Pitt, Bay. number 22, Green Bay Packers. 22. Yeah. 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 So tell us yeah. a little bit about. Number 22. Yes. Yeah. That's his alma mater. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Philander Smith, the, the, the school. Well, Philander Smith has obviously a Methodist backing and Methodist background. And in the year 1970, I had no clue how the Methodist Church impacted education. I just knew that folks who lived in my part of the state either went off to college if they went to college to uh, either Arkansas, then called AM&N, Pine Bluff, now the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, or Philander Smith College. Uh, Most of, if not all of my high school teachers were graduates from one of the two institutions, and I had an uncle who spent a year there uh, before going to Memphis State and I was so impressed by what he said and what I saw 
in that school is that I wanted to attend there. And my parents, of course, wanted me away from home, but not too far away from home. So 98 miles from where I was born and raised, I wound up uh, in school there at Philander. So it was a wonderful experience. Of course, you know, life away from home has highs and lows, you know, things that Mm -hmm. take place that you don't like and things that take place that you do like. And I would say this about my collegiate experience there. I was amazed that uh, people came from all over the world uh, to attend college there. I happened to run track while I was uh, there in school, and there were a multitude of brothers from uh, the African continent who were uh, track uh, competitors there at Philander and uh, Detroit, you know, Panama, Chicago, Cincinnati, places that I'd never been, people I'd never been exposed to, but that collegiate experience really was rich for me because I got a chance to interface with people from all over the world, and that was really pretty rich. And uh, the bulk of my instructors there uh, on my undergraduate level were people who looked like me. So that made the transition right. from high school to college easier for me because I was seeing the same faces in college that I saw uh, in high school. Oh, okay. And again, now before we get uh, into the book, uh, now who wrote the foreword for your book and what, uh, just give the, I mean, tell us a little bit about something about what they said uh, in the, in the well, foreword. Now, the, the, there is no foreword in my book. There's only a preface okay. in my book that was written by me and an epigraph. Uh, and that's, I'm glad you asked that question because since I published my book and when I look into the other great authors, I note that there are people who uh, forward books of other people. And I'm hopeful that my second volume, uh, An Urgent Agenda for an Emerging New World, I'm hoping to get someone to forward that work uh, so that uh, the next time when that question comes up, my answer will be my book is forwarded by such and such in person. Uh, okay. Well, a I'll keep my, well, I keep my little extra pen uh, hand in case uh, you can't find nobody. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll scribble up. I think, I think you're a mighty good candidate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're a hey, mighty good okay. candidate. Uh, 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 look here now about your book now, because uh, uh, I, I remember you know you and I had, had some conversations about your book, and, uh, and I think the first chapter I think kind of unique how you uh, prepare people to get into the book. Can you tell us a little a, a little bit about that uh, before you get us into the book? You know, just kind of tell me what yeah. you tell people what you told me. Yes, I wanted to I wanted to from the from the vantage point of being a minister pastor. I wanted to tie uh, my first chapter to uh, scripture. So I took a uh, snapshot of uh, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1 to uh, tie to my title of the first chapter, which is It Begins at the Beginning of the Facts. Now, I came across that statement. I came up with that decision by listening to uh, the late, great Professor Ivan Van Sertema of Rutgers University, for he was the black scholar for that university during that time. And I listened to his lectures about, oh, probably 100 times uh, during the course of the development of my material. And I remember him uh, lecturing about where the beginning was when it comes to black people 
in not just America, but black people in the world. And in one of his lectures, he begins it by saying it begin, the facts begin at the beginning. So I thought that it would be unique to take the biblical verse and take the work of this great scholar and kind of kick off chapter one uh, with that ideology in mind. So that's why chapter one has the title that it has, and that's why the uh, Van Sertima's influence is so heavy on the uh, beginning works of uh, chapter one. Okay, so 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 oh, oh, that's a great description. So so uh, what do you want when you wrote chapter one? What were you hoping that people would get out of it and kind of go over some of the things that uh, the, that was in there that you was hoping that people would understand when when they read well, the book? Well, that's a great question, uh, and I'm going to answer it by uh, reading an excerpt from the first chapter of the book on page one, and these are the words that I penned. The thought itself is near criminal that we, the masses of the population, but most especially the African Americans collectively, live in this world not knowing or not having an interest in its civilizational shape. By this, I mean the vast majority of the human population has no real understanding of what is taking place. So I started it that way because... I know it's a fact, you know, at, at my age and with the background I've had and the circles I've moved around in and people I've been exposed to, it amazed me then and it yet amazes me now how much we do not know about how the world was shaped because in most cases uh, we go back as far as the slavery curtain and we come forward. But my work was dedicated to looking behind the slavery curtain and coming forward to the slavery curtain and moving uh, beyond that to the times that we live in now. So I'm, I was really shocked to learn that most folks don't know that the beginning of all things has a black footprint or handprint or fingerprint or thumbprint or an ID. And so I wanted to bring that forward so that those who get exposed to the book that I wrote would kind of take my work and then connected to the works of the others who were so instrumental in me gathering my materials and developing uh, my, my, my manuscript, which ultimately turned into uh, this uh, book that we produced. All right, all right. Uh, okay, and in that first chapter where, where you, because I know you're trying to get people to, uh, so you're establishing the fact that, what you're trying to do is, is, is try to educate us about our history. Now, I'm giving an example. I, I, I want to ask you a question, rather, because uh, I talked to a friend of mine. He was about, he said, well, you know, you, you know, I was, I was looking at the Middle East. He was saying something about the Middle East. I explained to him that that was Africa. Now, you yeah. know, now you know, when we went to school, that, 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 you know, like in geography and so forth, they showed us maps that made Africa look, look, look the same size as America and all this type of stuff. Uh, Absolutely. What do you so so? What do you think the effect? You know, because when we talk about our people understanding who we are and that type of stuff, what do you think the effect of of those type of uh, subliminal, outright cookeries, as far as I'm concerned, actions mm-hmm. that was taken to to uh, warp our minds where we can't even understand uh, how big that continent actually is? Uh, what kind? What do you think has been the effect of those types of misinformation well, uh, that's been fed to us historically? 
Well, you took the word out of uh, my mouth and the word out of my mind, I would suspect, uh, because subliminal is exactly how I think uh, this thing has been played out. And the average uh, person who goes to school and takes a course in geography has no clue that the the discipline itself uh, is a black work, has a black handprint, has a black footprint, and yet it's been westernized. And by that, I mean those uh, who have so-called developed Western civilizations as far as writing is concerned, this is one of the moves that they make to decrease uh, the 12 million square miles of the continent to make us believe that uh, America can rival Africa in size, when in essence it cannot, it never did, and it has none of the mineral uh, resources uh, that Africa contains. So it, it's 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 been a it's been a it's been a mind game. It's been a diabolical plot. It's been a I'm going to put it this way. It's been a system of racism and white supremacy. That's something that people use to divide and conquer and take control of the thinking of people. And, you know, once you get a person's mind, you don't need a jail cell to house them in because once the mind is con- is is conquered, then the rest is really easy pickings. So it, I, I didn't know that particularly to begin with. That's something I found out along the way through my study that uh, the uh, map drawing, map making has been configured or reconfigured in such a way that we would think that Africa and America are like inside. Well, not uh, okay. Not only that, uh, the name you know they changed the names also of the yeah. different African nations, and so uh, and so. The question I want to ask you about that is okay. They changed all the names. So when you and you and you're a reverend, so when so when we go and begin our biblical studies and so forth. Those names that's being called out to us in these churches are not, uh, you know, we think, you know, we don't know. We look at most folks, we don't know where that is. You know, we think it in Rome or somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> that's so, so, so what? Uh, so what? Do, what effect you think that has had on on uh, folks not knowing of uh, being able to be subliminally kidnapped? Well, it's obviously had an awful and awesome negative impact on how we think. Uh, And alongside the, well, let's take it, let's look at it from this vantage point. That story, scripture, where the three Hebrews, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Daniel story. Notice what the king attempted to do with these three. He attempted to, number one, change their names. He attempted, secondly, to change their diet, what goes into them. He attempted, thirdly, to change their raiment, their dress, how they adorn themselves. And the most important point about what he tried to do was that he tried to change their God, or he had this image built and set out over the in the plane. And when the when this music was played, then everyone who heard the music was to bow down to this foreign god. 
But these mm-hmm. three Hebrews, they didn't go for it. They didn't go for the okie-doke, and that's what got them in trouble, and that's what landed them in the furnace of fire from which they were saved because of their connection with the true God. So that's the mm-hmm. biblical story that coincides directly with how the uh, conquerors of Africa or the conquerors of Egypt, you know, it was not called, mm-hmm. Africans didn't call Egypt, Egypt. They call it al land. They call it the oh. land of the blacks, the land of Ham. So there's a world of oh. information. What's that name again? That What's the name again? Uh, al land. A-L-K-E-B-U-L-A-N-D. And I took that from Dr. Ben Yonkin's book, The Black Man of the Nile and His Family. He has charts. He has maps. He has a lot of in-depth information about that. And so anyone who has studied John Henry Clark, and uh, Ben Yarkinen would know that the place that is called uh, Egypt, uh, which was named by the Greeks, was not that mm. at all that was referred to by the Africans themselves. Yeah, you, you know what I, I was, think uh, the average. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You don't think the, the average, average African person in America has no clue that from 3,100 B.C. coming forward to the time of Cleopatra. They have no Mm. clue that there were about 25 black families, dynasties, that ruled in the nation for 3,000 years prior to being interfered with from Western Asia and from the European uh, oppressors, if you will. Right, right. You you know, I I, I was... uh, uh, I was raised as a, you know, half Pentecostal, half uh, uh, a Baptist. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I, you know, so I got friends that, you know, in ministry. Anyway, so I was, I was serving a, uh, I was serving a, a, a luncheon uh, for a bunch of uh, pastors one time. Now, it was one lady pastor there with them, but uh, and so I got to, so I got to hear a bunch of pastor, pastor jokes. Like y'all may not know it, but preachers have jokes. But, but anyway. Uh, and so now I can't remember the joke. You, you might know what the joke was, but but I remember the 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 punchline was Shadrach, Meshach, and I'm thin to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what kind of uh, I, I forget what the joke was, but basically, you know, preachers y'all have y'all have y'all's own way of being humorous. Uh, <laughs> so, so so what about now? Tell me about uh, uh, tell me about okay, like chapter one. Okay, what else you want us to know about chapter one? Uh, of your book as we, as we get off into it. Well, let's let's just talk about the term Western civilization. Now, when I was a, a second semester freshman at, in college, I took a course that was called Western Civilization, great big old heavy book filled with uh, photographs of uh, people, images, and information. And this book, uh, the writer of this textbook that was used as a collegiate level presents uh, Western civilization as a European thing, as something that began with the Greeks. When the Greeks, based on John Henry Clark's research and facts, they didn't even appear anywhere appreciably in the world until we have the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey, and that's around 800 uh, B.C., so what happened before the Greeks? You happened before the Greeks. 
I happened before the Greeks. Ancestors happened before the Greeks. And we mm-hmm. have been robbed of our image of God, robbed of our names, robbed of our culture, robbed of our language. And here we are in America. We are a nation inside another nation away from home. And consequently, mm-hmm. we have been hijacked, if you will, of all the things that are most precious to us so that our conquerors can be at ease in their conquest of our minds. So our state of mind has been hijacked, kidnapped. Yes, yes. We've been Europeanized. We've been indoctrinated. We don't have our true education, but we have a very, very deep indoctrination so that we think of ourselves as being framed from a European concept in about everything we do, in our culture, in our dress, in our governmental practices, in our language, in the words, even in our dictionary. There are no African words there. They're all English, and English goes back to Latin, and Latin goes back to Greek, and Greek goes back to Phoenicia, and Phoenicia goes back to K-E-M, Kim, and Kim is the land of the blacks, aided by Plato himself. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, well, well, here, well, 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 t- well, and as you, so, so the main thing, so the main thing that you want people to get out of out of uh, uh, chapter one, just kind of paraphrasing it, you know, about uh, about what do you think, you know, you were trying to get people to understand about that first chapter. That the that the beginning is far before the beginning that we've been taught. Okay. Far before it far precedes the beginning that we have been taught is far preceded by thousands of years, and that's where uh, the hood we've been hoodwinked, if you will. That's where the 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 veil has been pulled over our eyes. And we cannot see because we don't see the truth of what has actually happened. I, I preached from a Bible. When I was started preaching, I was given what was called the Schofield Bible. Now, the Schofield Bible is what is called the preacher's Bible. In other words, that's the Bible that the preacher uses to authenticate time, people, places, et cetera, et cetera. And the writers of the Schofield Bible place the beginning of the world as being like 4,000 years ago. And it's obvious that that's a blatant, uh, how do you, I don't want to, it's obvious that that's not so. And so okay. it, took some, it took some search and some research to come to that reality. And that's mm-hmm. where... We're at the fork in the road in the black man today as far as the church is concerned. We just cannot mm-hmm. get beyond the European concept. Let me, while it's at my, the front of my mind, S-A-L-L-M-A-N, the Salmon Head. The Salmon Head is that picture of Jesus Christ uh, in his Scandinavian whiteness. That picture has been duplicated in the 20th century alone over two and a half billion times in order to get the subliminal effect, in order to put it into the mind 
there's a Greek word called tupos. I think it's in the book somewhere. And the tupos, that about? word means to strike a blow with such force that it would mint that concept in one's mind. Just like the picture of a president on a coin, then that image of Christ has been sent all over the world for so long, and now it's just kind of embedded in the African's head. And we know that it is because in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when I was coming along as a young fellow, uh, in every back home in East Arkansas, you always would find a photograph, a picture on our walls, in our Bibles, on our church fans of a white man with his hands outstretched who looked exactly like complexion-wise those who enslaved our people. And that's just how messed up our minds were and have been, and believe it or not, chores trying to work our way out of that concept. Mm. So what kind of uh, – can you give us some kind of ideas or something we can use to start working toward that, uh, working our way out of that kind of mindset? I think I think to work our way out of that mindset, there, there's a very serious uh, study that blacks need to do, and it's very simple. Go and look up. Go and research the Osirian drama. For you have in the Osirian drama, you have the African depiction of Christ. You have the African depiction of the Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus story. I bet our listeners perhaps don't know, called the Sphinx, that's there on the Egyptian African continent right now, that face has a name for the culture of the people who put it there. And it's about from eight to 10,000 years old, we're told. That the name, the name is H-E-R-U, Heru. That's the name associated with that image out there in Egypt. And the name Heru to the blacks of that time to the African people of that world, of that culture, that that name means son of God. So it just takes, we, we have to be serious enough to want to know what the truth is besides what we've been told that it is. And just little facts like that, I think, uh, replant the right seed in the mind so that we get a true picture of who the Son of God, who the character that we refer to as Jesus Christ was in that time, uh, you know, 4,000 B.C., 5,000 B.C. Nobody was speaking English in 4,000 B.C. because there was no English. And we just have to kind of, we have to to be serious about what we want to know about God. And we have to, I think, go off the beaten course that's been beaten into us and look for the truth and we'll find the truth is right there in the historical record right before our eyes it's just been hidden laid aside conveniently for the purpose of those who've had the ups on us all these years Ah. so search yeah search that's a scripture in the bible 
I think it's John chapter 5 and verse 39. And in that verse, Jesus says this. He says, search the scriptures, for in them eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. The, the key is, who is me? And the truth is, the me is not that white face you see on the wall, but the me mm. is the ancestor that preceded you and I by thousands of years, who had their own story, their own mm. crucifixion story, their own Red Sea story. It's all been copied and turned around and given back to us, so it's been inverted. So when you look at the biblical story, you have a tendency because of Charlton Heston to see Moses as a man who is white. You have a mm-hmm. tendency to see a Pharaoh as one who looks like Yul Brenner because mm-hmm. they flipped the script, inverted the culture, inverted the language, and now we feel like we really got it going on when in reality we really need to go back to the beginning, back to the facts, and the facts will take you right on back to your mm. ancestors who first wrote and who first occupied this planet. The facts take you there. Not just because I said it, but the facts mm. take you there. Well, in the context of Chapter 1 and in the context of this, quote, enlightenment period, uh, enlightenment or woke period we're in now, uh, mm. how, would you assess, how would you assess where we're at right now as, I, as far as our transition uh, into uh, more knowing about ourselves. Here I get an opportunity to uh, shout out, give a shout out to an 88-year-old uh, professor at the University of Arkansas, Pam Bluff, uh, Dr. Antonio Hobbs, who has been a world traveler, who has uh, two books of his own that I have on my shelf, who, who, who made it clear. He, he made it clear that what we, what we, what we have been let me read and get his book. Ask me that question one more time. I want to get his books because I want to use something from his book to uh, to respond to that. I think Ask me that question context, one more time. In the context of, uh, 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 you know, you know, chapter one, context of this enlightenment period that we're in now. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that's where we yeah. at. All right. Uh, he, he came back. He taught me. He, he, he taught me uh, in one of my sessions that, uh, what Charles Finch had been saying was true, that we, uh, the world cosmologically was drafted by our African ancestors. And what we see in the zodiac means one thing to us, but it was actually a calendar of time for the African ancestors. And based on what has happened in world history, in world events, thus far, we Jesus and the story of Christ of the New Testament fit into a mold called the time of Pisces. And now Pisces has come to its closure, and now we're moving into a new age, an age of Aquarius, which means an age of enlightenment. So I think the reason why, no, I know the reason why we are talking about this subject tonight is because things are shifting. Young people have problems, not with God, but they have problems with our depiction of him and the Jesus story. So now Mm -hmm. I believe churches are going to have to move to what's called a concept of being a place of enlightenment so that we get the true picture of what has happened in the world so that we can better associate uh, our 
salvific beliefs in our Savior's uh, personality and the works of God as he is identified in our own personage. Why should not my God look like me? Why does my God have to be someone who looks exactly like my oppressor? That gives me a problem. And the young generation that's coming after us, they've already figured that out. And they're saying, Reverend, y'all got to fix this. Y'all got to explain this because we got a problem with the concept. So it's, I think that the age of enlightenment is coming on its own like a wheel turning, like the earth moving, and we cannot resist uh, facing the fact of what actually has been. So we're moving out of an age into another age, and uh, it's our time to put our foot on the pedal, and, you know, it's time to put your foot on the gas now and go all out and try to get this thing turned around so that we can have a tomorrow that will be appreciable for us as people with a religious, you know, uh, concept and a religious belief and a, a spirituality rather than a religious, being a religious practitioner of being people who are spiritually based. Now, now you and I as OGs, uh, uh, how, uh, how do you, and I'm asking you this question, how do you, uh, how do you, uh, uh, translate all this wisdom and knowledge you have uh, for you know for our generations that's coming up behind us. Uh, and I work with a lot of uh, 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 you know younger folks. I know quite a bit of because I've you know been a community for a minute. And so what I and what I always try to do is I, I I just try to encourage them and just try to let them know that uh, you know your efforts your efforts even if you don't get a get a win quote win everywhere you go. That ain't. That's not winning. Winning is winning is fight. If you fighting, if you trying, you winning. So Absolutely. you know, and I have understand. You know, don't think that every time you go for a fight that you're supposed to come out with the W. That's not. That's not. You know, that's not what a win is. So, uh, and, and so I just want to you know just keep making carriage and have. So what do you do to to encourage uh, you know your young folks that's uh, just checking you out? Well. I look at, I think about uh, Dr. Clark, who said this about Keystone is the highest form of struggle. And uh, I believe that. I embrace that. And because of what he said, uh, I have embraced and birthed a new initiative in this area where I live called the Freedom School. And it came mm-hmm. about as a result of a conversation that I heard on XM Radio. Uh, Eugene Robinson's a man that looks like you and I. Uh, he's with the Washington Post for 43 years, and Joe Madison, mm-hmm. the world knows who he is. But these two were in the conversation in studio, and they were talking about critical race theory and what's happening in Florida with DeSantis and what's happening uh, here in Arkansas with uh, Governor Huckabee Sanders and, and so forth and so on. And as they were as they were ping-ponging this thing back and forth, Madison said all of a sudden, he said, well, why don't the pastors just uh, get the kids and bring them down to the churches on Saturday and teach them this African history and call it something like the Freedom School? So from that conversation, I garnered the idea that we can plant these everywhere and we can plant information in our children aside from what 
the critical race theory proponents don't want us to do. We don't if we can't teach it there, they can't stop us from teaching it in our churches. So exactly. my goal is to plant these schools all over the area. And my my first school setting is going to be at my own church. I'm having a curriculum written up right now. I have a mm-hmm. survey letter that's been going out for a couple of months now. So I'm going to start and conduct one at my church, and I'm going to bring in a team of people to help me put it together. And then we're going to try to uh, spread it across the South and spread it across the nation so that it will catch on and we can we can learn about ourselves away from the sites where the governors of these various states won't allow our story to be told. We just tell the story somewhere else. So that's my approach. Right. Uh, well, what? Because you know, I'm, I'm more of a pan-Africanist kind of guy. But uh, well, what do you? So, 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 how do you see the struggle that we've talked about so far? How do you see it uh, as, as far as you know globally? The you know our diaspora struggle. How, how do you see all this coming together? Uh, uh, you know, going forward, where we can, uh, you know. Uh, push our agendas and push our and get real history on the world stage and so forth and so on. How you uh, see us coming together globally? You know, South America, Africa, America. How, how do you see all that happening? Is it, are we going to get that together? I came across a quote from Malcolm, and I placed it on my, my Odell Car Ministries page, and that quote drew more attention than anything I put out there yet. And Malcolm said this. He said, we are not outnumbered. We're just out-organized. So what we're doing tonight is, to me, is forming a base of organization so that as we move smartly, we'll move with uh, knowledge, we'll move with intent, and we'll move with a mind to persevere. And if we do those things, I don't see how we can fail to succeed. So I, I think it's a matter of just organizing. I think this program, and I pray that there are many, many people who are listening in uh, who will take what we're saying and go out and search these things out, look at it for yourself. And when those who are listening perhaps will, let's say, lock down on the image of uh, the Heru, Heru Maquette, who was uh, the son of God, just lock down on that and then tell somebody, hey, man, I learned. I heard this guy on this radio show. He was talking about the Sphinx and what it meant, and uh, he told us uh, what it meant to the Africans. And I didn't know that it meant the Son of God. So now we have a better fixation on the Christ figure and the Christ image and the Christ story. So I think it can work uh, that mm-hmm. way if we if we give it in the right doses. We have to be good clinicians here. Uh, like uh, mm-hmm. medical doctors do, we have to give the person the uh, the medicine based on mm-hmm. their body weight. I think that my body weight determines how much of a given medication the physician can give me. And then I'm going to say there's a thing called our mind weight, the weight mm-hmm. of the, what can the mind contain, what can it stand uh, at a given point in time. So that's my general approach. You, you you mentioned a word earlier when you was uh, talking about you know what we, you know about the you know age we're in and so forth. You use the word you use the word shift. Tell mm-hmm. us what you mean by shift. You know oh, what, well, what is 
Well, when you when you look at when you look at the, the the natural physical world, look at the seasons. You look at the 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 world as it turns around on its axis and as it moves around the sun. Our African ancestors mapped out time nearly immemorial in some scientific and engineering capacity that they knew that in a given period of time, things were going to shift and things were going to change. And it has been proven, my book proves it, because my book brings out enlightenment. I was just at an event Saturday night, and there was a lady in this line with me, and she touched me on the shoulder, and she said, oh, I know a lady friend of mine who's reading this book, and she said, I didn't know how far behind we were. I didn't know how much we didn't know. I'm reading this book. And she says, well, what book are you reading? She said, I'm reading a book called Resurrecting the Black Mind by a guy named Carr. And so this shift means you get in these spaces and you find that the other people are picking up on bits and pieces of what has been developed. And now it gives me an opportunity to not just uh, illuminate what I've done, but now mm-hmm. I get a chance to talk about shake antidia and the melanin mm-hmm. dosage test. I get a chance to talk about Asa Hilliard. I get a chance to talk about Ben Yakin and John Clark and all these super beings who, in mm-hmm. essence, gave us the same information 30 and 40 years ago in many cases. The 90s was a very magical time for black people, and somehow mm-hmm. or another, a, a informational disconnect took place there that we're suffering from to this very hour, in my opinion. Well, you know, you, you know, I tell you about, I looked up the word woke, and I found out that, that actually black folks in the 30s was, was using that word, stay woke. Yes. So, yes. So, 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 so this is kind of my definition of shift. Uh, so, so, so at that moment, this, this is just an example. I, I, I give a lot more, but that's an example of where our people collectively, we, 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 we did a shift in the True. 30s. True. Right. So and that shift, I think, in the 60s, I think that's the movement you saw. Absolutely. So I think we need to understand that, you know, that when he, when when Doc is saying shift, you know, one thing he mean is that we have the power, we have yes. the power, black people, to uh, shift. We can change. Yes. The, right now, right now, you say, well, why can't I shift? Well, you can't shift, but see, right now you're living, uh, you're living somebody else's reality, right? Absolutely. And all you got to basically just start living your own. You have that power. You're not stuck over there doing that. So I think, and see, they didn't teach you that in school. They didn't teach you that in church. That's why, and Doc, you know, I like to say this. That's why a lot of church you go to, uh, you know, you know, they they convince you got everlasting life, eternal spirit, and so forth. And then, mm-hmm. and then you leave, you go home, scared you're going to die, you know. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and so we need to reconcile that so people can understand, you know, what that actually means. And, and, and that's part of shifting. You have to understand that you are eternal. If you're eternal, then you need to go do what you need to do. Everybody got a purpose in life. Find it. Go work on it. And just, and just do that. You know what I mean? And, and just, uh. You know, just, and just love yourself from the inside out, and uh, you know, and then just see what happens. You know, you do. You are responsible for the world you're looking at. Whatever you're looking at, 
just accept, hey, you know what? I did that. You know, they mm-hmm. taught when we were, uh, you know, from slavery time on, it's going to fit the word slave Bible. They taught you how they they taught you prayers that would keep you enslaved. They didn't teach you prayers that was going to release you. You know, if you if you get on your knees, say, God, I'm just a sinner, and I ain't worth two cents. Mm-hmm. Now, please, what can you do for me? Well, he can't do nothing for you. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you ain't worth two cents. So I'm saying that you know we need to learn how to pray too. You know, we we need to you know acknowledge what we have. Appreciate what we have, right? You know, yes. a prayer. When you pray, pray, pray for thank, pray, 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 pray of gratefulness, not asking for a new car or whatever, right? You know, mm-hmm. so just pray uh, for great, you know, from a position of gratefulness, and then just see what happens. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. You know, that and change a little attitude, make a little attitude tweak. You'll be surprised what what it show up in your life. You're saying, "Wow, how did that happen?" So that's that's kind of what you know, a shift is. It's just yeah, it's you yeah. understanding that you are, are an eternal being, that you are eternal, and that you have powers that are unseen that, you know, that you, that, that you know, when we grew up, they told us, they said, hey, uh, don't, uh, you know, you know, don't, you know, if you, if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. Well, what they were saying was, they didn't want you talking to your higher mind. They didn't want you to understand. Yeah. You know, they didn't want you to learn nothing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, being being young and dumb, hey, you know, I was running around for a while. They're trying to be, they're trying not to think when I was little. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I need to, I need to keep my mind. Man, I, oh Lord, these thoughts keep coming. So I'm just saying that we need to understand that that that's that that you know you're supposed to. You know, just uh, go and listen to yourself talk. I tell people, go walking. Don't put no earphones on. Just walk and listen to yourself talk and see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you do that, that'll, that'll you know, you'll get a whole lot of information, you know, that you won't mm-hmm. get in other places. So and I just want to say that. Mm-hmm. That's part of shifting. But anyway, go ahead. Grab. Okay. Um, true and right information liberates. There's the scripture that almost every Christian should know if they don't know. John 8 and 32. That's where the Christ says, and ye shall know the truth, and the and truth that's... shall make you free or liberate you. So the, the mm-hmm. issue is, what is the truth? You remember Pontius mm-hmm. Pilate asked Jesus in his examination of him that very same question. He said, what is truth? He got frustrated because he couldn't absorb what he was hearing by a man who was filled with power. So mm-hmm. true true information really liberates you. Dr. Clark said that the Bible is to be used as a tool of our liberation. Liberation, uh, that's right. The whites use it as a tool to enslave, but we can take mm-hmm. the same book and use the same book and invert what they've done and use it as a tool for our own liberation. Shifting. Shifting. And, and, when, when Mark said the uh, universe is uh, long been for justice, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and I think that's where, that, that's the time we're living in now. America's going to become something different from what it was. What it's going to become depends on 
what you and I are thinking, what what you and I are acting. Uh, you know, that's how you get your new reality. You have to be that of which you, you know, think. So, uh, you know, as, as it was, I, I just saying go as a man think it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So we need to. So I. So we need. We need folks thinking. Uh, you know, you just need to just look here. Positivity. It actually works. You know, if you run across somebody that's full of negativity and they want to come and inject you with it, you need to get out of the conversation, move out that space, and, and and you know, you know, come back and holler at them later. You know, when that. I would agree. When that, you know, when that poor thing with them. So you know, so just kind. Of, just do those kinds of things to try to stay positive for the most part. Uh, I'm telling people right now in this movement period we're in with all this stuff going on, I'm telling folks, we win it. We win it. Matter of fact, matter of fact, we're in a position, and and, and I'm going to put this in my book doc when I write it. But anyway, but we're in a position, <laughs> or, or rather America's in a position, and I, read, and I wrote this down, down back in 1983. I said, because I'm a military veteran, so, I, anyway, so I've always looked at foreign policy. I said, America's going to come to a point where they're going to need black people's moral authority to stay on the world stage, you know, with any kind of power. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's probably, you know, and, and what I'm looking at right now, you, you know, we head toward that, right? Because, you know, they, you know, uh, you know, white folks have lost their moral. Their, they really never had moral authority. Okay, I mean, you know, but, but you know, but they, but, but the patina of it, uh, people thought where they could wave that thing. You know, right now they're in Africa trying to get. You know, they, you know, they left Africa to everybody else, to, to Russia and everybody else all them years. Now we're in a new economic situation globally, uh, the same technology and so forth. Now they, you know, now they over there hollering. Uh, you know, hey Africans, you know. You know, uh, you know, you know, can we talk? So, you know, you know, the globe has changed, and I think for America to really, and, and we're and we're the country that's best positioned to take advantage of the new global economy because we have everybody here from everywhere. So, all America just let go of that racism. Let go of that racism, and America will. Wow. If they just let it go. Uh. Chancellor Williams, in his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization, Issues of Race from 4,500 B.C. until 2000 uh, A.D., he used, uh, in one of his chapters, he referred to the Africans as being recognized by all people as being the moral people. The Africans were recognized as being the spiritual people. They were recognized as being the people who are of God and godliness. And I would mm. I would urge our listeners to please uh, get that book in your hands and read that material because the way it is laid out, it's laid out prophetically. Uh, Chancellor mm. William saw the days that we are living in now and he could recognize where we would be on the world stage and what empowerment we would have. But he also knew and he also warned us to be careful about being lethargic thinking, being Mm -hmm. hopeful in our reaction to finding out what actually has happened. Because if you're the moral authority, 
but you don't know that you are, then someone mm-hmm. can ease in and move you out and displace you and replace you and mm-hmm. claim that they are the moral authority instead of you. So we have the we, we'll win. We just mm-hmm. need to get busy. We just need to become interested. My son is 31 years old. He'll be 32 this month on the 28th. And I asked him about when I first published his book, I said, tell me about the people who are in your age group and how successful do you think this book will be with them? And he says to me, he says, my generation, he says, we listen, but we don't read. And that mm. was the key to me. That told me something about what we have to craft and how we'll have to put this thing together in order to reach those uh, who don't read. Now, here's something that happened interesting about a month ago. I met a young fellow in the barbershop who had been in prison for 14 years. I happened to have had my book in the shop there, and he bought it. Just men and women in prison need this book. Well, so happens the publishing company sent me 150 of my own books with mm-hmm. corrections that I, that I had made there, but they were soft cover books and not hard cover books. So I'm sitting right. there with this issue saying, what am I going to do with these books that have been actually gifted to me because mm-hmm. I paid for hard covers and they gave me soft books. And I met this guy in the barbershop and I said, how can I get this book in the prison system? He gave me the chaplain's name. He gave me the chaplain's address. I called the chaplain. I emailed him. I mailed him the book. He emailed me back, and now the, the committee that reviews their material is looking mm-hmm. at the book right now. And when they come to a conclusion, then I'm going to drive over to Pamela, Arkansas. I'm going to mm-hmm. donate uh, that uh, box of books to the men and women who are incarcerated who may not chance to read if they were out of jail. But now mm-hmm. that they're in incarceration in that environment, yes. now they got time. So I believe yes. that we can have an impact on the African mind by utilizing philanthropy. You know, I'm not going to sell them to them. I want to give them to them. I think that when you give, you get back more than you give. Now, a lot of people don't embrace that, but I particularly believe that, that if you give, you'll always get back more than what you give. You know, what you'll inherit is greater than the sacrifice that you'll make. And that's where I stand on that. And let's go back to shipping, shipping docs. Because I want people to shift, shift from a, shift from a financial, primarily financial yes. material world. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, that part is there, but that's just one right. thing, you right. know. And then you know, understand that you have other powers, or other ways to create abundance. Uh, abundance Absolutely. happens in your Absolutely. Uh, with the proper attitude and and going in these other directions. So. So a lot of times I think a lot of people get stopped because whatever they get ready to do, they want to put a, some type of financial price on it. Put a price and on it, yeah. And people that don't, you know, don't do that with your ideas. Whatever right. idea you got, don't put a, you know, don't put a money thing on it because if you do, right. you're going to talk yourself out of doing it. That's correct. So, you know. Do the right thing and the money will come. Just do the right thing. Yeah, like Lisa, do the right thing. And you do that and the money will come. Uh-huh. And, and it'll generate uh, since we're in the second hour now, I want to uh, uh, ask you about, uh, unless you got something else you want to finish up with that, I want to ask something about Chapter 2. 
Well, uh, you know, I you know, I think that uh, the the entire eight chapters uh, has a wealth of information and can generate a lot of questions and a lot of answers. And so I'd be happy to move on to uh, chapter two, and perhaps the the uh, listener will go to you know odellcard dot com and order the book or uh, email oh, me and get it. Yeah, yeah while we're here right now, you go ahead and get some information. Uh, about where they can get your book and and uh, so forth. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna change my question to uh, in, in your book. What's the most important chapter in it that you want that you think people should definitely? <laughs> okay, I, th- I think I'll be ready for that question as well. Uh, the the book can be obtained several ways. Uh, the book can be obtained by going to uh, Amazon.com, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Westbow press publishers out of Indiana, or you can go to my uh, website, which is odellcar.com, and there you find the book, uh, my image, and the pricing and all of that. And anyone who uh, wants to get a copy of it, uh, if you'd like me to sign it, it'd be easier for you to get it directly from me and ship to you wherever you might be. But that's how you can get your hands on the book, Odell Carr, O-D-E-L-L-C-A-R-R.com, OdellCarr.com. OdellCarr.com. Yes. Okay, so what, okay, no, no, okay, so what chapter in the book would be, if, it, if you got eight chapters, uh, hey, okay, if I had to get, it's just one chapter they were going to read, what, what would it be and, and what's the essence of it? I would think, uh, the most effective chapter for the discussion that we're holding tonight is Chapter Four, and uh, Chapter Four's title uh, is Mass Media, Politics, and Religion. I, I looked at all three of those elements, and I I put my words together surrounding what happens to us in the television media the print media, the political arena, and the religious world. When we look at those three facets of humanity itself, it's kind of like a coup de grace. It's kind of like they got the foot on our neck, and this uh, intravenous, uh, this this IV of information, this the impact of uh, these three are subliminal because mm-hmm. we don't, we, we're looking at what's happening, but we're not seeing what's going on. And so I would think that for our purposes tonight, uh, that Chapter 4 would be, I would think, pretty meaningful. I won't say most meaningful, okay, start but with I think very important. Uh, okay, we're going to start with media. And I'm, and I'm giving you an example of what I'm talking about. I don't know if this is what you're talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Every time I turn on TV set, I see. I, I see. They got a black woman in bed with everybody, but a black man. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Media impressions. Media impressions. And Joe Biden even he even referenced those commercials like they were some kind of progress. That's these. That's mm-hmm. these people making money. That's these cowboys right. making money. Off. And he act like some kind of a social statement. Now you got you got all this you got all this craziness going on. And then he mentioned, and he he ain't mentioned it again, but he did mention it like it was some symbol of progress. That is not progress. 
that ain't progress because first of all, it's fake. It's free. They just make us money. Think that they like you. And so, and I'm saying, you know, I remember when the first commercial came out where they had a brother with a white girl. You know, they got they they got a lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. And so, saying that, so so I'm saying that, you know, so that's one of the uh, media subliminal trickerations that's going on currently right now. And every time I see one. You know, back time I get to, you know, back time I, and I could name a couple more. But anyway, back time I get to my, uh, to things to change the challenge, the commercial be all. You know, so I, so I just leave the room. <laughs> if anyone out there is interested in how the trick knowledge in the media can be explained so easily and so profoundly, it's Charles Woods. Charles Woods is a 40-year film critic, and he explains so deeply, so beyond the the shallows, the trickology and everything. He goes back to the you know the Jim Brown era and Raquel Welch. You know Jim Brown says to the world, a black man can have a white woman, and that was an awful struggle during those times. But it's evolved away now. Yeah, gave a kiss. Yeah. So that it's a, it's a, you know the the subconscious mind of all people uh, is impacted by people who generate mass media, and they know what they're doing. If a drop of water falling on a stone for an innumerable number of times can change the shape of that stone, what do you think happens to the mind when you keep on? Putting these images out there. What happens let, in my mind yeah, and your mind? Yeah, images. Let me ask you about. You, you remember? You, you remember when? You remember the famous wardrobe malfunction when when Janice says, "Oh my goodness, a white <laughs> yeah. woman! Yeah. Oh Lord, the yeah. world about to end. We just saw a white, a black woman's breast." Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's crazy to me. Yeah. The, what do you think about that one? I think it made a lot of money. <laughs> I think it made a lot of money, and and and, and it was it was a, it was a black breast that was revealed by a white hand, not a white breast revealed by a black hand. Now try that on for size. <laughs> and yeah, look here, look here, Justin Timberlake, right? The white boy that caused absolutely. It. I didn't do absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't. Do absolutely. It. You know, I'm going, I'm going straight there. Uh, black that's, women, that's, y'all need to look at that. You know, that's, uh, that's him right there. You know, now nah, he ain't do that. Yeah, that. you did. <laughs> media impact, <laughs> subliminal media impact. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, okay. What I want to ask you though was the reaction that came from that. What do you think? What do you think? And then I'm gonna give you another one here in a minute about a bad reaction that came from that. But because we're talking about subliminal information, so what was subliminal message with that reaction? Uh, about Janice's ooey, huh? I mean, what was the what was the what was the message in that? I think I think it would be a good idea to ask the young impressionable mind what they derived from what they saw in the hype mm. of it all, and I think that the young uh, mind would not necessarily connect the dots of the black and white of how the black woman is exploited and used to generate income from those who are in control of the mass media 
you and I in the OG club, we've been around a while, so we can kind of, we can dissect things a whole lot better uh, than people who are just impressed by what they see uh, on television and in the media. So I think it'd be, I'd be, I'd be interested to find out what does the average 20 to 35 year old black person think about what they saw when Janet Jackson's breast was bared in that uh, situation in that event. Well, I can tell you where the negative energy came from. Okay, the negative energy in that thing that came from that came from white women. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they, you know, you know that what that was. <laughs> that was a cat okay. fight. You know, <laughs> the cat fight. Because you know, white oh, men wow. didn't. Mind. Look here, Eddie. You know, white men didn't mind. <laughs> Oh no, no. <laughs> they were happy. And you know the brother they were quite enthused, yeah. They were just satisfied. And you know the brother wasn't tripping. So you know who was tripping? <laughs> yeah, well that was, that kind of ex- yeah, that kind of explains that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where that energy that came from. Now I'm gonna give you another one. Okay, you remember when that when the brother had a heart attack on the football field? Yes, yes, yes. Right. Now, you remember the football player. Yeah, yeah, you remember. Hey, look at they they canceled the game. You know, they sent millions of dollars to his foundation. You know, I mean, they was like, I mean, they was it was almost like, you know, please don't die, my black hero. I mean, <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of system that we're working with. Here's what I'm trying to tell people. You know, they say well, they institution. When you, when you get me started talking about billionaire sports teams owners, I mean that's a long, deep conversation because I, I my eyebrows go up when I hear about these billionaire owners because, in a sense, as a slave was on the slave plantation working for a white plantation owner, slave master, here you have another ownership relationship, which can be used to. Turn you in is. any direction they wanted to to earn our uh, concern to make us feel like they care when yes you know what I'm really, asking you, right there, Doc. What I'm asking you is where that, from, from that from that situation uh, that energy that went down where was that where, where was that energy there coming from where, where was that energy coming from well that made I think like that. I think it's coming from multiple sources in multiple directions. Number one, uh, black athletes earn money for white owners, and the black man who the people's emotion that that point that point of emotion. Oh yeah, but it's, absolutely. That's what I'm at. I I mean I know about that. I'm talking about. I'm talking about where where did that energy come from? You know, you, you know they they don't want you kneeling. Uh, you know, they don't want you knitting for, 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 for police abuse, you know, on the one hand. But if you have a heart attack on the field, you know, we're going to stop the game and, and, and we, you know, we crying and, we, you know, we're going to do, yeah, we praying, we're doing everything. We don't want you to die. So I'm we just saw everybody kneeling that night. Everybody was kneeling. <laughs> we saw knees on the ground all over the stadium. Folks sitting yeah, with their yeah. hands over their mouth. We saw all kind of emotion. Yeah. Uh, okay, you know, you, you know, Christians and sinners alike. Everybody was kneeling. So, yeah. so I'm just saying that, uh, you know, but I'm just saying that that was a weird kind of an energy that night to me. Well, and, it was. It, it, was yeah, it was. It was. It was different. And I think, and I think that, and I, and I think, 
I, I think where that came from was, and this is because I'm just I'm just back around a lot. This is my opinion, you know, having been raised mm-hmm. in the south. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like, uh, you know, we ain't had no problems out of him. You know, he's a, <laughs> you know, he's a good you know, he's a good guy. You know, he's one of you know, he's one of ours. You know, mm-hmm. he's we we comfortable with him. And so we want you to know that we care about the ones we comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So we comfortable with you, we're gonna take care of you. I think right. that's kind of what I, I, that's the vibe I got out of that one. Well, you know, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about Colin Kaepernick. So if in fact Colin Kaepernick had been projecting the kneeling uh, status before, and then he gets hurt, would they have responded? to Colin Kaepernick the same way they responded to this brother who was injured in this uh, freak of an accident. And I think had it been Kaepernick, we would have really had a chance to see how the world really looks and how people really feel about the black African athlete uh, in America had it been him. Had it been him. He's lost his job, ostracized from the league. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It's awful. Do you think they'd have the same reaction to Kaepernick if he would have had if he would have stood up and 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 then like held one knee up? Do you think they would have the same reaction? <laughs> well, I you know I, I I don't know because you know you and I you and I can speculate what those uh, thirty two when he had one knee space one knee. when they, when they get together. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a that's a that's a topic that would be worthy of a deep discussion. But I'm just not sure uh, what I feel they would have how they would have reacted had it been like that. Oh yeah, well anyway, but but anyway, when they say it here, that's I, an I don't, I don't know. know. That's an I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying, any, anybody gonna do it? If you're gonna do a protest, just stand up and put one knee up, and let's see how they see how they happen. <laughs> see what happens with the one knee up. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's see what happens. Okay, so then chapter four. What you what was some of the takeaways you said? That, that, okay, the, okay, oh yeah, the media. Okay, the next one was what? The next you said the media. The then next, the next then was what? Mass media, then politics. Yeah. Oh, politics. Okay. Now, I mean, uh, we're, we're getting to you. You feeling it right now? You feeling it in Florida? You, uh, you feeling man. it in Florida when the governor signs uh, a bill over uh, in the night, in the midnight hours? Uh, about the six-week abortion ban and so forth and so on. You're feeling it right now in critical race theory with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and that guy down in uh, Texas, Abbott. You're feeling it uh, right now, what the political uh, climate is like. I mean, it's like uh, who's going to say with the Democrats or the Republicans? Who's going to say We trade government. Because my governor, he's going to do an execution for a murderer, and then he's going to release a murderer. So I I think I want the governor. Yeah, he's he, he's a character. Well, they all are, in my opinion. You know. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know. She come over here and do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. we're keeping. So we can get rid of. So we can get rid of them, right? But no, nah, man, yeah. see, it's kind of see. But it's that kind of. Again, you gotta understand. You know, they don't. We're talking about politics now. They don't believe in. They don't believe in America. They they actually never have. You know, I tell people all the time when when Hitler before he did his thing, he came over. To America and visit the South to see how to do it. Mm-hmm. 
uh, America America was built was built on uh, on a fat uh, on a foundation of fascism. You can look at definition yeah. of fascism and look at American history. Yeah. Hey, but America created the word. Absolutely, the word. And so we have to understand, uh, uh, you know, that about America, and, and just understand that uh, you know the South, yeah, the South is, our, and then it went back to it. You know, we we're straight up fascist South right now. So True. it's time, to, uh, you know, do what we gonna do whatever it is, but we got to do it now. I'm glad those young men stood up politically in Tennessee. Uh, yes, the it, Tennessee too. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a, it was like a brand new plant sprung up in my garden. Well, that's a, that's an evidence of shifting. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's evidence of the shift that's taking place oh, yeah. in the political yeah. arena. Yeah, the un the unheard of. Now, fifty years ago, if uh, black men or women in political uh, authority places would have attempted something like that, then we don't have to we don't have to talk about what the end result would have been. Just look at uh, Mega Evers, who was uh, mm-hmm. just working on voter registration, you know, had just come from his church uh, and working on voter registration. Just look at the, look at the evidence that lies along the way. Mm-hmm. Every time we pull forward, they respond. When we're shifting to resist fascism, they put right. more pressure uh, on us. And they go as far as taking us out of this world. And, then, you know, we don't hey. believe it's a fact. You know, uh, we better think and again. That, and that's where the double back, and that's where I need my I need my preachers and teachers that 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 teach about our uh, indomitable spirits, our eternal souls, yeah. and 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 have people to, to to do what they need to do, and and uh, you know, like don't be running around trying to trying to not die. You ain't you can't avoid it. You need to try to figure out how to live. Right, you know, and so I like you know, to say, yeah. yeah, and so we need to, you know, get people to understand that, you know, uh, you know, living is what you're supposed to be doing. You're here for a purpose. Yeah. Uh, you're not just supposed to go to work and pay bills, and uh, you know, so forth and so on, or accumulate a bunch of material things. You can't take none of it with you. Everything you have is borrowed. It's all borrowed. So once you figure that out, it's okay. What's my purpose? What I'm supposed to be doing? Absolutely. And then just focus on it. You know, yeah. just focus on it. You know? Dying takes care of itself. It's all conveniently, according to Professor James Smalls, it's already been conveniently worked out for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to lean into it. And then when stuff starts happening, uh, uh, it's going to look like a, a miracle a bunch of times. But uh, yeah. but I've heard, I mean, look, I've had people, I, I've heard all my life, you know, God must have sent you. I mean, just for the simplest thing. I mean, it's simple to me, but I guess it was something to them, <clears throat> you know. Cause, you know, and so, yeah. and so that's how you know you don't. You're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. because different people give you the feedback. If you like doing that, then do more of it, right? Yes. You know, yes. don't be worried about folks. Quote: Can't nobody use you. You can only use yourself. Mm-hmm. If somebody come to you and say, uh. I ain't got no agenda. I'm just here to, well, you need to get away from them because everybody got an agenda. Hmm. So if I ever walk up to you and tell you they ain't got no agenda, you check them. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. So, you know. 
But anyway. Uh, now, you, you uh, asked me about politics, and I wanted to yeah. bring this point uh, to the fore. Uh, when I was a young man uh, watching the political movements from the South, the the personality that kind of dominated the television airways was George Wallace. And I can remember, I can remember hearing about democracy. I can remember watching political movements. And then I, I remember seeing this man stand uh, in the midst and speak and say that he says segregation now, segregation uh-huh. forever. And I thought, now, how can I be a good citizen, and how can I support a political ideology be partaking of? This man looks mean. He sounds mean. And when I turn off the TV set and ask those who are wiser than me, what does he mean? And they say he means America means not you. We the people means you are not included. And we do not want you around. And I'm confused again because I'm saying to myself, but I'm here. I'm in Arkansas. I'm in America. I didn't choose to come here. And now this governor is saying that he believes that we ain't no good and we are unworthy. We are not needed. And he wants segregation for now and Forever. Then I come and find out that Strom Thurmond, who was a proponent of the same mindset, winds mm-hmm. up somewhere along the way in the bed with a black woman and a child comes I'll up I'll out of the midst. You know, you just go, you, you, you know, you go up to, uh, to the big house. You know, they, yeah, anyway, you oh, yeah. But these, yeah. my point is, these are political. This, this is where we get our politi- foothold from listening to people in politics talk about how the world should be shaped. And it's just, it's just a trip uh, to me. It was then, and it's even more so now because I understand it more. But when I was young and impressionable, I just I was just confused by it. And so and again, I had to. You got to tell how, John, how, how Wallace ended, though. Remember how he ended? He, he, he ended up in a wheelchair with, with a black character. A, a caretaker, yes. a caregiver. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And okay. I, you know, it until the wheelchair incident, I'm going to go out on a limb now and say, based on what I experienced and felt the vibe from him, it would have been easy for me to hate him as a person, but logic and spirituality tells me. That's that's not a part of my frame. I so I in essence hate his actions, those decisions. I hate the impact he had on black people in America, but I couldn't hate him because as you just said, he wound up in a wheelchair attended to by black people and apologizing for what he did before he died. So hey, there hey. it is. Well, here I try, I try to help folks understand that. Uh, hate is uh, hate is is too expensive an emotion. I can't afford it. Yeah, yeah it, I can't it, afford it. Yeah, it's too expensive. Yeah, I can't yeah. afford it. it you know, because you know, you 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 giving. I mean, some being that's truly some being. Uh, you just throwing some of yourself away, because yeah. you know, for for you to hate somebody and be in that state of mind. I mean, like I know some people that 
they have a hard time forgiving forgiving folks. And I try to tell them, let it go. Just, just let it go. You know, you're holding on to it, but every time you get you, you know, you just fill yourself up with negative gasoline. Now you got a tank full. Now you got to work it off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so why you putting yourself You know, why you keep doing that? So I keep trying to tell people about, uh, uh, you know, like, ain't nobody never, uh, I, I think it was Emerson that said, I've never known a man to die of threats. Wow. And so, with hate. I've never known a man to die of somebody hating him. <laughs> you know. Well, hate definitely does not heal. That's for sure. It doesn't heal. No, in quality. It doesn't heal. It has nothing. And we got to understand, too, you know, when people understand that, you know, you say, well, you know, you know, what I think don't mean nothing. Yeah, it do. It do mean something because we all connected. So it do mean something. When you think, you know, well, what you yeah. think do. And so, you know, and what you think about yourself means the most because you can't give what you ain't got. So you have to love yourself in order for you to love me or Doc or anybody else you want to love. You know, you got to. It starts with you. Yeah, it starts with me. That's where it starts. It starts with me. Yes. Yeah. You ain't got it inside you. If you're trying to love somebody and you, ain't lo- and you don't love yourself, guess what's going to happen? Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, you go, you know you're going to be. You know, all of, you know, living your life with somebody else and all this kind of stuff. And they they're gonna have their issues, so they're gonna be, you know, enjoying whatever that is for, you know, you know, from their perspective. So the main thing, you know, if you if you love yourself, you know, you say, well, you know, well, you know, I love myself and I'm still by myself. What? No, no, you're not by yourself. You're never by yourself <laughs> if you right. love yourself. Well, you, you remember love? the Pharisees asked Jesus on an occasion, which commandment, you know, was the greatest commandment. And his response in that conversation was, love God with all your being and then your neighbor as yourself. So it begins with, it starts in me, you know, it starts yeah. in me and matriculates outward. Yeah, like the like a pebble thrown in the pond. If it, When that pebble hits that water, you note the rings that go out with that reverberation. It just moves outward mm-hmm. to the edge of the pond itself. So it starts in me, you know, and hate right. just can't not be, it can't be a part of me toward another human soul and our progress as a person in life. That That's a mm-hmm. weight that weights you down. But, you know, forgiveness and love towards other men sets you free. Yeah. And I, I want to operate with a free mind. Yeah, yeah, like I that choose to operate with a free mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like I said, cause if you spend your time, you know, doing that, then you know you're gonna be like, you know, again, and, and then on top of it, it's gonna make you sick for long. Many people don't you, believe that. They don't. They don't see the mind over matter issue. They don't accept the fact. Many of us don't don't make the connection between how you think uh, impacts and how, how your body is going to start reacting based on what you think and but mm-hmm. it's true i think it's scientifically proven and we need to really get into that to ensure that we don't make ourselves sick because of mm-hmm. how we feel towards someone who may have crossed us or wronged us or whatever the case may be yeah mm-hmm. yeah it just ain't that, it ain't that it ain't that deep with me it just ain't that deep <laughs> no, it's not that's that what deep. i'm saying 
I just be trying to tell people, hey, you know, don't try. You, you know, oh, okay, it was it was, it was, it was uh, 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 media politics. What was the other one? Yeah, yeah, one That's more. Media what, what, what? politics and religion. Oh, oh, religion. Uh oh, we in your wheel. And that's where I get in trouble. That's that's where that's where people, in some sense, have problems with me uh, because of with this book. Because I can, I understand that the religion and spirituality are two different worlds. Uh, the Roman Catholics, the Pope, and all that bunch—they were great practitioners of religion which they mimicked the Africans, but they had the religion, but they didn't have the spirituality. And so okay, the and rest of the story has fallen out as it has. And, you know, okay, a situation I saw, because uh, I, 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 I was do my study, but I saw this, I saw this uh, well-known black, black uh, you know, TV person. He, he, was on with, he was on with two Jewish guys, right? And so okay. it was them. Yeah, he was black, and so and so he was going. They was going through their bantering before the you know before they start talking. He said, and, he said, and so the black guy he said, well, he said, well, he said, well, since I'm the only Gentile here, now what I want to ask you is, was he correct? Is, is he a Gentile? I mean, I'm just asking because I because that, that that kind of tortured me when he said. I mean, I got this thing. I was going, wait a minute. I'm not sure. So I'm asking you that you know that's Num- what number one. Number one, Jew is not a race. It is only an affiliation. And when it comes to who people are from the inception of this world, the personalities are black. Now, for religious purposes and to separate the quote-unquote categorical righteous from the unrighteous, then these uh, two categories have been created. Now, Gentile in the sense of when Jesus lived would have been a person who was just non-Jewish, who would have been, uh, matter of fact, Timothy. He was, he had a, his mother was of one uh, ethnicity, and his father, if I remember correctly, was a Greek. So he was a uh, between breed of one nationality and another nationality. So when people start talking about Jews and Gentiles, I say take the word Gentile and do an etymology on it. Take it back as far as you can take it and come forward, and the answer, you'll answer yourself. You'll answer yourself. I've been here all my life until I learned better that you are a Gentile. Well, what's he? So, 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 so was he? Okay, well, that was scenario. So, well, you. Oh, so what you're saying is that the, that scenario was basically what generic is what you're saying. Is just, just generic scenario. That, that, that well, none of that. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that there are two categories: there's the Jew and the Gentile. And the Jew in that scenario, with the two Jewish people on there, when you start thinking about ethnicity. When you start thinking about ethnicity, obviously the black man wouldn't be considered by them to be Jewish because of oh. his, and because of his color. But the original oh. first Jewish people 
were not these folks that are over there now at the Wailing Wall with those long black suits and those long beards. This thing has right. been it's been reversed. And uh, oh. if if our listeners don't know, the nation of Israel was signed off as a nation by a United States American president, Harry Truman, in 1948. Israel becomes politically now a state. And now all these uh, immigrants, these uh, people coming from other European areas to where they are now, now you have a you have a concept and you have a ethnicity and you got them all put together. Now here are the Jews. Those people over there now have not a, I almost right. touched on, on blog right. radio, they have not a doggone thing to do with the Jews okay. of the okay. African ancestors. Okay. Let me tell you this then, and, and, and kind of contextualize what I, with that scenario. Now I did my, I'll tell you about been doing my ancestry DNA and that type of stuff. And so, uh, and I was looking at they, and basically, uh, okay, like if anybody, if anybody's doing their ancestry DNA, any black folks out there, well, white folks too, if you did it, uh, if you see, if you see uh, Cameroon Bantu or Western Bantu, okay, those mm. are the original, what they call, what, what white folks call Jews, you know, Jewish people, but they, but, but they call Bantu. So if you yeah. got that on your, so if you got that in your DNA, then that means that you are that you have Jewish uh, blood in you. So, so you hear about the diaspora and the long, lost tribe. That's why mm-hmm. they look at American, African Americans and say that's the lost tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. folks sense, you know, you know, American, South American, so forth. You know, so they say, you know, so that's why I say we the lost tribe. So basically, mm-hmm. uh, DNA wise, uh, because we got all mixed up, right? You know, we, you know, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so actually, so actually, it's one of the reasons why I think why, uh, you know, white America fears so much because you know Hitler, uh, you know, he started a breeding program last about four years trying to build a, a super, uh, Caucasian race, and and you start to think about it that in America, they bred black people like that for hundreds of years. Absolutely. So that, so that means that you know. They know certain things, you know. You, you know they know that, you know they know what our powers they are as well. They know. They know. I think, yeah, and I, and I think that's really part of the whole they thing know. about don't wait that type thing. I think that's uh, that's part of it too. The bottom you line know? is and they I, know. I keep telling, I keep telling my white friends, look, black black people ain't interested in putting white people in slavery. Mm-mm. That's not our history. That ain't what we oh. do. Wow. You know, that's a powerful thing that you just said. And when you said that, I thought about a conversation I had with my attorney who uh, I consult with regarding my book. I called him up, mm-hmm. and I said to him, these folks in New York are wanting to do something to promote and all that and all that. And I said, what do you think? And we talked about that. He said, I have your book. He says, I'm reading it right now. And you say some fascinating things. And he said, I'm a white man, and I want to say this to you. He says, white people, now this is a white lawyer, he says, mm-hmm. white people are wondering when y'all come back to power, are y'all going to do us the same way we did y'all? And my response was, that's not how our hearts are framed. But a white man said that. I could have fallen out of my chair. 
when he said matter of fact, that, that actually matter, happened. Matter of fact, that's why they look here because we like that. That's why we That's why hey, you know we had look here, we didn't even we know we was being taken over. We was having so much fun, I guess, with them. You know, we didn't. <laughs> you know, we know we. The next thing we know, hey, we was in we was in America. So wait a minute, what happened here? So you yeah, know, right. and that, you know, us sharing and trying to do all that, you know, being, you know, that's why, you know, people people get upset now. They say, well, you, you know, well, uh, every time we get some, uh, you know, everybody else, you know, they you know, they come and get our stuff and see what and see what and what I want black people to understand is that look, we are we are representative of America's moral authority. Mm-hmm. America, the all, cool. all the rights in America, uh, if black folks don't have them, then those are not rights in America. Those are privileges. And so just like uh, civil rights movement, uh, you know, Title Title Nine, all that stuff, you know, all white women stuff. Okay, they didn't have that stuff before we got it, okay? True. We got that. And so, True. And so going forward, we have to understand, I know it's kind of hard to concept, but no matter what we get, like, okay, I'm going to give you an example. I bet when we get reparations, I bet they're going to figure out some way for white folks to get reparations. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they've been figuring ever since we came here in 1619 and before, so I don't I don't believe the figure is going to stop. I think they're going to keep figuring. I just believe that's the way it's going to be. They're going to say you paid the slave master, now pay the poor white people too. You know what I mean? Everybody gets <laughs> You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for now, that, but I'm just saying that, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're living in some interesting times, and, you know, yeah. so, hey, you know, that's that's what it is. But we got to talk these things out. But the main thing is for our community to understand that, uh, you know, and, and Dr. O, we've been talking about, we're going we're gonna to organize ourselves. Right. We're going to roll through the south. We're going to organize ourselves. We're gonna arm ourselves with information and, and voter power and conversation, uh-huh. and then that way, we, and then that way we can tell uh, the powers that be what we want because we have moral authority. They, you know, they don't have that. We don't have a group that have that. We don't have a group that vote ninety plus percentile together. We don't. We don't supposed to do that. The only mm-hmm. ones. So that means all we have to do is get more of us registered. Get more of us in that. Now that's just one lane of power, you know. Yes, Again, like I said, we have all authority. So uh, you know, and, and that's and that's attached to global authority, right? So once we do that, once we do that, then we'll be in a better position to hook up with, hook up in Latin America. Look, there's business opportunities all through Latin America, right? Absolutely. And I just, you know, think about Latin America. You know, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities, and so I'm just saying that. Uh, you know, those opportunities are there, uh, but we have to access them ourselves. We can't wait for Democratic Party to, uh, you know, get us hooked up. So that day is over. Technology's here. Uh, we got the skill, all, and, and all we need and all we need is the will. So we can get the will and leadership. Uh, you know, we can do that. And, and on top of it, the technology it, uh, uh, makes it now where, you can actually go around some of the races, whereas before you would mm-hmm. have to go right into it. Now you can just kind of, you know, you know, disappear like that if you want to and just right. do your business. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I'm just saying, so we have a lot of opportunities. And, and I'm impressed with our young with our young folks. Hey, look, they bright, y'all. They, hey, I'm saying they're smart. Uh, we just need to love them 
and encourage them. You know, you know, give them the, uh, you know, give them that wisdom. You know, they want it. They they want to hear from it, and they want to see us fight. So they need to learn how to fight when you're OG. The Tennessee two, to me, are the prototype of what the black person is in this shifting age of enlightenment. I think what we see in those two brothers there in Tennessee, they tell us this is who we are and what we have to do now is follow the leader. They've given us Mm -hmm. a very beautiful uh, outline. They've laid it out. This is what we do. If we don't like it, we're going to let it be known. If you if you shut my mic down, I'll get a bullhorn. Throw mm-hmm. me out of the legislature, I'll, I'll bring a well of support, and I'll come back, and I'll be right back in the office that you threw me out of. And you can't, ain't no turning back from that. So that, that rung a bell that sounded throughout America. It's not admitted, but I bet it's built throughout America. Well, the ringing know, of the bell, the Tennessee. You know, everybody. You know, America is like this. America is like, you know, they what they say say the elephant in the room, right? Everybody, <laughs> yeah. elephant in the room. You know, we just right. you know we move kind of room, but everybody knows. You know, we see the elephant. Oh yeah, he's right with, there in the room. Yeah. Well, we grew up with the elephant, right? Yeah, we, we, we grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. You know what it looks like. He's been there all along. Yeah. yeah first they, they first they told us. Yeah, first they told us it was Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, that's comical. <laughs> you know what I'm that's saying. <laughs> so hey, I'm just saying that. Uh, you know, hey, you know, we have to just be real about that. That's all I'm saying. You know, whatever, hey, whatever well, you do, just be, just use real information. Just use, you know, you know where, you know, for where you are. Again, you know. Everybody in different spaces and time. You know, everybody's in different places in their life, right? You know, if you if you working every day, what effect? You know, you 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 know, you grinding. So I get it. You know, you ain't got time. You know, for a lot of stuff. But right. you need to take some get some information so you can, you know, make your grind easier. Uh, if you're on something, whatever job you're on, if youngsters, whatever, you need to come leaving. Don't come. Don't be going to look for no job to stay for no twenty years. Go and right. retire from. At least two different jobs. Go go retire from these two different jobs. Go go to the county and work ten years. Go to the state and work ten years, and then after that, you know, keep up with your paperwork, and then go, you know, go get you another job if you want one. And then just kind of when you you know turn six or whatever, you know, go get your two retirements. And you're gonna paid. do the work. Yeah, yeah, get paid. Yeah, you know, so those kind paid. of strategy that we need yeah. to teach our you know our youngsters about in this new economy. When me and you came along, Doc, there was things there was such thing as a, a social contract between worker and a job. To the point mm-hmm. that this was in the eighties, people would refer to that job as my job. Yeah, my, my job. Yeah. My right. job. Now I know that mm-hmm. don't say you folks say, What? Yeah, yeah. My and then when Reagan broke the PACO strike strike, he broke he broke the unions in America. And so and then then he put in place this thing about you know, if you work somewhere five years, you can retire from the company, whatever, whatever. But basically, it was just a placeholder for they just, you know, anyway. But I'm just saying that, uh, 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 you know, we're in a time now where, you know, just think anew, 
and just, you know, uh, you know, you can try whatever you're comfortable with and, uh, you know, but do something. That's all I'm going to say. Just do something. Yeah, do something. Right. Joe Madison says it all the time. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. So we have mm-hmm. these listeners out there who are listening to this exchange between you and I and gleaning perhaps some uh, thoughtology about what we're saying. But the bottom line is when this program is offline tonight, what will the person do about it based on what they heard? Will they wait on us next week, think if I can give more information, or will they stop and say, you know what, I'm going to check out what he said about this, that, or the other. That's the key. If we're going to be renewed and restored and revived, then we have to take individual, as you said this earlier day in the conversation off the program, personal responsibility, you know. It, it, it's your thing. It's your thing. You got to be responsible for what your thing. Whatever you're looking at. Yeah. If you, if, if, if you if you don't like your mom-in-law, I hate to tell you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna get some hate mail from saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, now I say don't like your mother-in-law. I said if you don't. Like it. Yeah, well, I tell you what, just don't send that mail to Madison Street in Arkansas. Send it out to to Tyler, Texas. Yeah, right now I need need Shirley McKellar. See, I I, I can use Shirley right about now. I sure could. (laughs) She she bear me me right now. Yeah, she's bringing it right to a happy medium. (laughs) Yeah. And see how you did just throw me a rock, Doc. You just threw me a rock. <laughs> well, you know, this is America, you know. <laughs> you you have to know what to expect in America from America. <laughs> you got to know what to expect. Well, hey, well, like I say, well, uh, look, at, we, we closed in on the end of the program now, about the last, what, the, the 10 minutes or whatever of the program. So basically, uh, you know, we didn't talk about quite a bit of stuff tonight, so so I just wanted to just know, you know, what kind of what are you uh, looking forward, uh, you know, for the future? And I know you're going to be coming back on the show, and uh, and everything. So, good. but just kind of tell folks some of the things you plan on doing or uh, whatever in between. But he's going to be coming back. But go ahead. Well, one of the things that I think is going to be most impactful for us because as you suggested, you and I are both in the OG club now. So we are mm-hmm. sort of like uh we are sort of like athletes on a in a on a track field. We're running with a baton that ultimately has to be placed in the hands of others who will come behind us. And my role and your role, I believe in the entire group's role, is to prepare those who are coming forward. I think we should look at the Tennessee Two and try to develop a Tennessee Two in every community, local, state, and national. And I feel like the reverberations from that kind of power will give black people a new footing in America, and we'll be fighting on all fronts instead of just on one front. So I believe that we can get a hold of the minds of our young uh, people who are coming along and say, look, at the Tennessee too. There's a Tennessee too in you. There's a Tennessee too in every community. We in the OG club have to expend energy enough to invest in them, to find them, to get an audience with them, to let them hear us 
and then let us hear them and put combine the two power sources together and make a change in the ship. I think that, as you said earlier, we are here for a reason. And I believe that uh, one of our purposes is to perpetuate truth, to perpetuate knowledge, to put the baton in the hands of those ultimately who will replace us. And I can think of no better way than to prepare those who are coming than to make sure that they have a truthful awareness and consciousness about who we are and what we have been. John Clark says it this way, history is a clock that tells the people their political and their cultural time of day. History Mm -hmm. is a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells the people where they've been, what they've been, who they are, where they must go, and where they still must be. And most importantly, the relationship of history to a people is the same as the relationship between a mother and her child. That's what I think we are emboldened to do if, in fact, the future will be brighter for those who are coming uh, by our hands at this point in time in world history. Well, well like I said, the main thing right now, yeah, is to you know, is to uh, question, question everything. You know, I watched the, on the on the folks watch the uh, ancient aliens. You, you watch ancient aliens? I don't look at it I much. Watch. I used to. Yeah, and I watched so, it periodically. Because I, yeah, I watched, like, that, but anyway, it's been like, but anyway, uh, the way that they even, first of all, it, it was like, it was like years into ancient Asians before they even had a black guy come on, <laughs> come on the show. <laughs> right. You know. Right. And then they finally got a black guy on the show, and then so they didn't let him say much. You know, he never says much. He just kind of sits there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, yeah, really. And so, and, and so, uh, but the perspective that they use on ancient age, which I think is, it, it, which goes kind of like the same same program all over again, is they go around and find these things. They're like, it's brand new because they just figured it out, right? And the people that's there where those things are already know about stuff, right? <laughs> they come up. Wow, mm-hmm. you know, nobody mm-hmm. knew this before right now. You know, we just, mm-hmm. no, 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 y'all just figured it out. You know what I mean? Right. You know, so, right. So, so anyway, that's part of that. Again, you know, and, 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 and you know, bottom line is this. Uh, you know, should they come when we do get visited, all that stuff right there, they doing that, you know, that's going to be out the window anyway. So I hope you understand that. So, <laughs> you, know, with, uh, you know, like I said before, They've been figuring for 500 years, and I don't see them ceasing or desisting from trying to figure. They just won't <laughs> win. In the end, this thing is the battle has been fought, and the victory has been won, and we are the winners, you know. We are the winners. Walk like it. Walk like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, and, and just be that. You know, and just stay in your, you know, stay in yourself, you know. And, and like I say, and again, just love yourself so you can love uh, everybody else. Hey, here, uh, uh, the, the, I'm not going to have to sing Glory tonight because uh, uh, Riri said that she's going to be able to play it for us. So, Doc, I want you to, first of all, just give folks again 
the, the you know the stuff about the things about your book where they can get it and, and so forth and so on, and then give us a, a farewell word for the night. Uh, be yeah. kind enough, if you will, in our listening audience to buy this book, Resurrecting the Black Man, uh, written by myself, published April 27, 2022. There are eight chapters. The book uh, has a religious element, but it's more a book of spirituality and historical fact. There's uh, history you can't separate history from the people whose actions gave it its substance. But unfortunately, black slash African people living in the United States have been miseducated about themselves for centuries. But regardless of the way the whole historical picture unfolds, one truth remains that can never be changed, and that is the spiritual and the cultural heartbeats of black people originated in Africa. And if you will embrace the idea to buy this book, read this book, I believe you'll get a better view of who we have been, who we are, and have a more sound footing on where we still have to go and what we still must be. So if you'll do that, You'll be doing yourself and your families a great favor. My book is dedicated to two in two categories, dedicated first to my mother who gave me the whatever I have acquired to reach this plateau. And my book is secondly dedicated to the ones whom I refer to in my preface as the beautiful ones, the faces I'll no doubt never see, but I know that among them, champions, will arise and take the baton from my hands and move forward and put us back on solid footing on the world stage of human history. That's what I believe. That's what I embrace. And I look forward to engaging with those who would buy the material and communicate with me on about it. And I appreciate uh, the opening to be on this program and I'm hopeful that it will get traction and it will begin to move throughout uh, the globe because we can know now what has been hidden from us. We can be made aware of what has been conveniently laid aside and hidden away that has been the hoodwinking experience of the African person in America for all these many years. And I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts and knowledge and my experience on a program such as this. Thanks again for having us. All right, all right. And I appreciate you, and and, and I appreciate, uh, you know, you letting me interview you tonight, and I had a conversation with you. Before we go, I want to give a shout-out to Dr. Hagney, uh, uh, Reverend Michael Cooper, and, of course, Shirley, the great, McKella, uh, we we miss y'all, and I uh, hope uh, hope I can get y'all fired. All right. But anyway, uh, <laughs> thank y'all for thank y'all for listening to us tonight, and uh, good night. And just remember, walk like it, talk like it, and be like it. Good night. Good night. Good night. One day when the glory comes.
No man, no weapon Formed against, yes, glory is destined Everyday women and men become legends Sins that go against our skin become blessings The movement is a rhythm to us Freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us Justice for all just ain't specific enough One son died, his spirit is revisiting us True and living, living in us Resistance is us That's why Rosa sat on the bus that's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no. Glory, glory, oh, glory, glory. Now the war is not over, victory isn't won, but we'll fight on. Every man, woman, and child Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero Facing the league of justice, his power was the people Enemy is lethal, a king became regal Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego The biggest weapon it's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win a war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes It will be 